Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm always excited when I have enough time to get into the scriptures and prepare a message that allows me to listen to what God wants me to say. Not only am I a fast talker, but I tend to do things without thinking. But whenever I spend enough time letting God do his work in my heart and come to a word, people always ask me, what is it that gets you going every time you preach? I say, because I'm honestly speaking to myself. 25 years later, every sermon is for me. You just happen to be in the room when I share it. Today is no exception. Because as we continue the series on We Worship, I am inspired to reflect on a lot of things as an individual in the presence of God. And so if you are here for the first time today, understand that the power hour is not a time to be entertained. It is not a time for us as preachers to perform. It is a sacred duty where we get to speak the word of God as sinners to other sinners. And so before I speak, I want you to do me a favor. Can you turn to somebody seated beside you with the smile you can master and with all the sincerity you can afford and say to them, God loves you and so do I. I said sincerity. Okay, let's try that again. I don't know why people always feel like there's a microphone in their faces. Can we try that one more time? God loves you and so do I. I'm looking right at you. Okay, thank you. I love you anyway. We worship. This series has fallen heavy on Pastor Henry's heart and mind because when we say we worship, that is a, it's not something you do. It is a state of being. It's a place you are as an individual where it's not only on Saturday morning or Sunday morning or on a Tuesday night, but it's a state of being every single day. You don't have to be singing praise songs. You don't have to be reading the scriptures. But your mind and heart are so moved by who God is that all you can say is, we worship. From day one that started last month, we began by talking about the ruins. That in some shape or form, we are all standing surrounded by some kind of ruin. Whether it be personal, social, political, or national. There's some kind of a ruin that is surrounding your life. Some of these ruins are so private that you dare not talk about them, that when the preacher mentions them, you look down instead of up. We are all standing in the midst of ruins. Then we spoke about the fact that you don't just stand in the ruins. There is a need for rebuilding. That being a Christian is not just about being present, but it's also about rebuilding. Because until Jesus comes, we will always be rebuilding. But we also realize that in the process of rebuilding, there will always be resistance from within yourself and from without others and the devil. And so we are forced to rebuild our ruins in the midst of resistance. But today I'm here to tell you that in order to overcome the resistance, in order to be able to get rid of the ruins and turn them into a building, we need reinforcement. And so today's message is, the reinforcement. And can somebody reinforce the sermon by putting up the slides on the screen? Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Turn your Bibles to Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I am going to read two passages of Scripture this morning. 
This will be the first one, but I will provide a reinforcement passage that will help us understand what is going on in this amazing book. Full disclosure, this was my first time in 25 years of being a believer to really pay close attention to the book of Ezra. It has been illuminating. Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and here is what it says. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. This is what I want you to get. That when it comes to rebuilding the different areas of your life, I'm going to read another text. When it comes to rebuilding the, the areas of your life, there are parts you work on by yourself. There are things you need to do for you. There are things that you need to show up yourself. The Bible says when David was walking up a mountain after being kicked out of the kingdom by his own son, it says that David encouraged himself. Because before somebody else can come and say, man, you got this, girl, you got this, you need to start talking to you. You need to encourage yourself. But then as you do the work of stepping into the Red Sea, God will send people around you to reinforce that encouragement, to validate that journey, to validate that choice, to validate that detour, that rerouting experience, because when it comes to the Christian walk, we don't do it alone. That's why the series says we worship, not I worship. The reason we come here is not because we just want to worship God. We want to worship God together. I assume that during the week you worship him without the microphone and the PowerPoint and the sound system and these dudes over here controlling the cameras. I'm sure in the darkness of your solitude, you worship God. But we do it together because we need each other. You think you don't until you do. You think you don't until you've tried everything by yourself. And so the Bible says, as they were trying to build the walls of Jerusalem, there was an excitement. We read it in chapter 1. When they put the foundation down, they worshipped the Lord. But do you know that for 16 years, the project stood still? No rebuilding, nothing, no excited worship services. The young people had given up. The old folk had uh, focused so much on the past that they couldn't move on. The building stayed untouched for 16 years. Do you know how old, how long 16 years is? Ask any parent with a 16-year-old, they'll tell you 16 years is a long time. For 16 years, because of resistance, because of running out of resources, the work had stopped. And so the Bible says in chapter 5 that God provided some reinforcements. He sent two prophets, not one. Because pastor, sometimes it takes two, not one. Sometimes God needs more than one. There are times when all he needs is a Moses. There are times when all he needs is an Abraham. But in this situation, God needed more than one. 
Now, in the New Testament, we see Christ and the disciples. We see Paul and Silas. We see Cornelius. We see Barnabas. We see all these spiritual giants at one point in time. But in the Old Testament, we also find some spiritual giants operating at the same time. We, saw, we find Ezekiel and Daniel. We find uh, uh, Moses and Joshua. We find these men and women, Esther and Mordecai, all in the same area. This text is the same. The Bible says that Zerubbabel, who is the governor? See, there were three returns to Jerusalem after the exile. It's Bible teaching time. Stay with me. The first return was under Zerubbabel, who was under the line of David. Zerubbabel was a descendant of David. Because the people's minds were, if we are to rebuild, we must restore the house of David. And so they elect Zerubbabel to be the governor. And so the first return, the first trip to Jerusalem is under Zerubbabel. The second trip is under Ezra. The third trip is under Nehemiah. During Zerubbabel's time, God sends the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. Zerubbabel's name means seed of Babylon, meaning that as a Jew, he was born in a foreign land. He was born in Babylon, but he did not belong. He went back home because even though you might be born in Babylon, you belong in Jerusalem. And so God takes Je Je uh, Zaza, Zaza? Remix. Zerubbabel back to Jerusalem, and through his leadership, he starts to take care of the building of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He was not an elder or a deacon. He was a governor. Because when God wants to rebuild, he doesn't use pastors. He uses you. And when you've built, we come in and play hero and preach in the places you've built. But we live at a time when people want to sit back and they want the pastors and elders and deacons to build, to sing, to preach, to give. And all you do is watch. Today's message is supposed to be encouraging. I apologize for that. Reinforcement comes in different shapes and forms. Haggai's message is different from Zachariah's message. I'm here to focus on Zechariah. So take your Bibles one more time. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 4. Remember, Zechariah is a contemporary of Zerubbabel and Haggai. So his book is closer to the end of the Old Testament, but his ministry is at the same time with Zerubbabel. Are we together? Are we together? Get your Bibles out. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 4. One of the most common texts that I believe everybody should read in the dark night of the soul moments of life. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 to verse number 10. Here's what the Lord says through Zechariah to Zerubbabel. Verse number 6. Then he said to me, Zechariah speaking, he is repeating verbatim the words that God said to him to pass on to Zerubbabel. And he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The text is focusing on a message of encouragement because when it comes to rebuilding, it's not always the moment for rebuke. It's not always the moment for correcting people for their mistakes. Sometimes the saints need to be reminded that things can be better, that every dark cloud has a silver lining, that every storm is followed by sunshine, that every valley is followed by a mountaintop. Life is a roller coaster. And sometimes when we go through the dips, we need somebody with a word of encouragement. Sometimes God gives you a word, not for yourself, but for somebody else. Zechariah receives a word, not for him, but for Zerubbabel. And Zechariah takes that word to Zerubbabel, and he begins the message from God in a weird place. He says to Zerubbabel, listen to me, it is not by might, nor by power, but it is by the Spirit of the Lord. That is where he begins the message. 16 years later, the work has stopped. The same man who built the foundation and promised the citizens that things were going to get better for 16 years could not deliver on the promise. And so God says, Zerubbabel, the problem is you've been trying to hang on to the fact that you are a descendant of David. You've been trying to de de depend on the monarchs of Persia. You've been trying to depend on the, the, the chiefs and the governors and mayors of the places around you. You don't need them. All you need is me. Ladies and gentlemen, even as we worship in this place, I want you to know that what changes your life, not by mic, nor by PowerPoint, but by the Spirit of God. It is God that we need, not this black man from Africa screaming in your face. It is God that we need. Because without God, all of this is a waste of time and money and energy. We don't do it to convince you. We do it so that you look in the direction we are looking. And that is in the face of Jesus. Without him, your job, your business, your career, your relationships, your parenting, your health, your sanity would be nothing. You will throw everything at the wall and nothing will stick simply because years ago you said, Jesus, I love you. You are the captain of my life. But now he is no longer the captain. And you wonder, why is there water coming into the boat? Don't get distracted by the shadows. Focus on the light that caused them. 16 years before, God spoke to Cyrus, not Zerubbabel. Not the leaders of Israel. God himself moved on the king of Persia and said to him, You, make sure they can rebuild. Give them all that they need for this beginning phase. God did it. No campaign letters, no requests, no meetings or alliances by the United Nations. God. And so throughout that time, they were trusting God. They built an altar. They created a foundation. But for some reason, they started focusing on the shadows. The resistance and the, the, the concerns and the excuses and the shadows became the focus. But don't you know that a shadow is caused by light? Don't you know that a shadow is caused by the fact that somebody stands in front of the sun? You think I'm talking about the body in the sky, but I'm talking about Jesus, the sun. You've turned your back on him. And so everything you see is a shadow. And that's what you're afraid of. It's too expensive. It's too far. 
There's too many. There's not enough. Too old. Too young. Too big. Too small. So many excuses because you're focused on the shadow. Turn around, little girl. Turn around, little girl. Look behind you. There's a sun. You don't have to look at your shadow. The Spirit can only reinforce what is already there. I've met people who've been in the faith longer than me, and they still say, Pastor, can you please do Bible study with me? Because I need to understand the point of the Bible. Listen to me. The Spirit can only work with what already is there. If you're not reading the Bible by yourself, there's nothing I can say to help you. Maybe a little bit, but not really. Oh, that story is in the Bible. That's the reaction I get. Pastor, I didn't know that that was in the scriptures. But you've got the Bible in a hundred different versions on four different devices. And you can buy the Bible still in the store in Indonesia. The Spirit can only work with what is already there. Lord, help my relationship. Are you doing the work? Lord, help my career. Are you doing the work? Lord, help me to overcome this addiction. Are you doing the work? Because it doesn't help to ask God to help you with an addiction when your arm is tied and you're about to shoot it up. You should say, Lord, help me while you're running. If you want God to help your marriage, say, Lord, help me while you're running to your partner, not running from them. If you want God to help your kids, stop treating them like strangers in the home and love them, no matter what it is they're doing. Because the Spirit can only reinforce what is there. Okay, you don't get it. Let me help you. I know nothing about cars. My wife knows more about cars than I do. I never grew up like other guys uh, loving technology. My, my brother-in-law gets very frustrated with me because half the time I don't understand. Cars, cell phones, I could care less. You want to talk about uh, 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 history and places of the world? You want to talk about the solar system and the galaxies and the Milky Way and the different planets that exist in between? I'm your guy. But cars and cell phones, I know nothing. However, in 2019, I came across this probably by mistake or the Lord put it in front of me. I don't know, but I came across this beautiful vehicle. Let me try to say the name. It is created by Bugatti, and the creator of this car gave it an interesting name. I'm trying to remember the name. I literally wrote it down. It is called... I need to tell you, this is, this, this has got to be the most interesting marvel of human creation ever. But i got to get this name correct because I know some people in here have studied in France and I don't want to be judged. The name of the car is, let me get that French accent going. La Viator Niort. That is not correct. La Viator Niort. This car, and by the way, the name simply means, wait for it, the black car. This car cost $19 million. It is the most expensive modern creation in the automobile industry. Notice I said modern because there are classics that have been sold for more than 100 million, some 200 million. Some of the sales have happened behind closed doors in auctions among the billionaires and the 1% the on earth. So it is unimaginable how much somebody is willing to pay as a car collector. But what is fascinating about the black car, I'm gonna call it by its uh, English name, is that in 2019, only one model of this car was made by Bugatti. 
Bugatti is a very unique car manufacturer, just like uh, Rolls-Royce and the other ones. I told you, I know nothing about cars, the other ones. They love to make exclusive cars. They don't cater to everybody. Just because you have money doesn't mean you can get yourself a Bugatti. You have to be invited to the showroom. In fact, they take you to the estate in France and they take you through the different stages of how the car is manufactured. But this one, this one is the only one in history. It is a celebration of a Bugatti by Jean Bugatti that was created 110 years ago. And so to celebrate that moment, Bugatti as a company created this man-made marvel. In fact, when it was shown in the showroom in 2019, it was sold before the interior was even made. And the person who bought it, there's a debate whether it's the former uh, managing director of Chevron or it is Cristiano Ronaldo who bought it. Nobody knows who bought it. But it took two years for them to create the interior of this car. So it was sold in 2019, but it was only completed in 2021 during the pandemic. Because the owner had special specifics they wanted inside of the car. And by 2021, it was delivered in London, England to its owner. Everything I've said means absolutely nothing. The part that I'm interested in is how Bugatti makes its cars. This car has a top speed of 400 kilometers an hour, or 280 miles for you American people, right? It has 1,500 horsepower. It is a marvel of creation. When a car goes too fast, the front can lift and the car can flip away. But the way this car is designed, its aerodynamic features, its interior ergonomic structure, when you're moving that fast, you don't get car sick. It is like sitting in the cockpit of a plane. But here's the marvelous thing about it. Its interior, the, the, the skeleton of the car is one structure, one piece of carbon fiber that holds everything together. But if I didn't tell you that and you didn't Google it, you wouldn't know because all you are impressed by is the lights shining on the black car. Because let's be honest, the only thing we like about cell phones is how they look on the outside, not the inside. The only thing we like about cars is how they look on the outside. But what makes this car amazing is what reinforces it. Very few have made accidents in these cars have died because of the way the car was created. What is my point? Reinforcement works better from within than from without. So when the prophet says, not by might, nor by power, but by the spirit, God is saying, you're trying to put your hands on everything else around you, but all you have to do is let God has spoken to them because he's spoken to you. But what we do is we pray after the interview, after the first date, after the church service and after everything. And we're like, God, here's what I have put reinforcement inside. We keep bringing things to God that are not reinforced. But God says, listen, you want me to help you. I can only work from the inside out. Okay, still not getting. Let's try something else. My brother is an architect, a really good one at that. I find it very boring. I mean, doing architecture is like watching people play chess or watching paint dry. Really, really boring experience for me. I like a job where I can blah, blah, blah for 30 minutes and go home. Quick, I'm done. But architecture is a precise job. And when the builder, the contractor takes the drawings that he has created, look, look how old I am, I did this. It's on the screen now, it's no longer on paper, right? But they use paper still. 
When the, when the construction team starts to build, they'll, they'll dig very deep holes, depending on the height of the building. They'll put a foundation in. And before they put walls and glass and all those things that you guys do when you go to Shanghai or you go to Paris, you're taking pictures. What you're taking pictures of is the outside. The great stuff is inside. That is what the buildings look like, if you can see it. There's a bunch of steel pipes inside reinforcing the building. Now, can you imagine if the con contractor decided, you know what, I want to be creative. We're going to build the building first, then we will add the steel pipes at the end. See, that sounds foolish, but that's what we do. We do everything, and then we invite God to a finished thing, and we wonder why it takes 16 years to get anything done. So God begins his message, I am using up a lot of time, God begins his message by saying, stop depending on your political connections, stop depending on your, your influencer people, the people who can move the political or financial needle. What you need to do, start with me. I'll direct you to the right people. Amen, somebody. Amen. You can only reinforce during the rebuilding process, not after. That is the reason why, that is the reason why a child can go to school. He can be loved or she can be loved by the teachers and loved by the other students and praised by the faculty and praised by the principal. But if there is no reinforcement at home, inside, it will do nothing at all. I've seen people graduate summa cum laude around the world in, in, in courses that regular people can do. But simply because mommy and daddy did not validate them, they gave up trying because they didn't get reinforcement inside. Stop letting your spouse be appreciated by people outside. Don't you get uncomfortable when somebody says to your wife, oh, you look pretty today. Doesn't that bother you as a husband? Are you upset because you're jealous? Or are you upset because you didn't say it? Stop looking at women who admire the way your husband dresses or the way he carries himself. Have you done it yourself? Aren't you ashamed when pastors praise your kids and you don't? Amen, nobody. In verse 7, the prophet continues his message, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And then he says to Zerubbabel that a day is coming. A day is coming. You laid the foundation, but a day is coming when you are going to put the top stone. Let me explain. Construction today is very advanced. But back then, it was only advanced in terms of measurement and shape, but the process was very simple. The building process would begin with the foundation and the first stone, because they use big stones, would be what is known as the cornerstone. The cornerstone. And they would use the cornerstone to continue the angles and build the rest of the structure. And when the structure was done, the final piece that would be placed at the top would be known as the capstone or the top stone. So you got two things, the cornerstone and the top stone. If you got those right, the building would last a long time and it would be perfect. And so God says to the prophet, you laid the foundation, but one day you are going to put the capstone on top. You're going to finish the project. Your health is going to be good. The relationship is going to be restored. The business will be restored. Your finances will be restored. Your family will be restored. The church would be restored. But between the cornerstone and the top stone, we got to get to work. We got to get to work. And when you put the capstone, what is the rubber going to be shouting? Grace. Grace. Because when it comes to doing what God has said, all we need is grace. Grace. 
Grace allows me to look at you and say, child of God. It allows you to look at me and say, child of God. No matter what mistakes you make, no matter what mistakes I make, all I'll do is I'll close my eyes and say, Lord, I really want to judge this person. But grace, grace, it is too expensive. Grace, grace. I feel like there's nothing I can do. Grace, grace. The devil comes day in and day out. He uses the wife, the husband, the kids, the neighbor, the dog, the cat. Grace, grace. And the reason they cry grace is because they know they couldn't have done it without God. They couldn't have done it without his influence and his presence and sending the right people and sending Ezra, sending Nehemiah, sending Zerubbabel. Because without God, the wrong people come into your life. And so when you finish praying, before you say amen, say grace, grace. Not once, but twice. Because anything nice is worth saying twice. Can somebody say amen? amen. The first and hardest thing in the process of rebuilding is unlearning your limitations. It is so easy to get jaded by everything you've been through. It is so easy to stand there and say, why should I bother? Pastor, I've, I've tried. I've tried, honey, I've, I've tried. I've tried at the office. It's not working. Babe, I've, I've given it all I've got. I think this is as far as I go. But here's what you need to understand. That when it comes to rebuilding, the number one thing you must overcome are your limitations. Yes, you fail, but God never fails. Yes, people walked out, but God never walks out. Yes, it seems like everybody's given up on you, but there's always 7,000 who have not bowed down to Baal. You may not have the team that you need to get the work done, but God will send you just one person. Just one. Just a Zachariah, an Esther, a Deborah, a uh, 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 whoever. A Susan, a Samantha, a Tom, a Dick, a Harry, whoever. God will send somebody because we focus on what we can do instead of focusing on what God can do. So when you cry grace, grace, you are saying, Lord, I had given up, but you did not. Final text. Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. The first hardest thing when it comes to rebuilding is overcoming your limitations. But the second hardest thing to overcome is getting started. Is getting started. Ask anybody who is trying to give up smoking. Ask anybody who is trying to go to the gym and stop eating chitato chips at 12 a.m. in the night. Do you know the sound of the bag when you open it and the the smell hits your face and the wife and the son are asleep and it's just you on the lazy boy with the legs up? Pray for me, y'all. Getting started is hard. When Gesta's at the super, supermarket and she's buying groceries, anything that you need, I'll say, I want my geese, I want banana, I want grapes. And before I say anything, she cuts the phone because she knows exactly what I'm going to say. Getting started is the hardest part of rebuilding. Ask any couple that sits in counseling. You don't know where to start. The first instinct is to blame the other person because that's easy. But starting over is hard. Coming to church for the first time, you got people looking, oh, welcome brother, welcome sister. You've been lost for long. Welcome back to church. It's hard to sit there and be like, I can do this every Sabbath. It's hard. When you've been fired, when the business has failed, to start over, it's difficult. But here's the thing. The moment you put the foundation in and you go to the Lord and say, I'm going to do my part, show up, one day, you will cry grace. Grace. When you and your spouse are kneeling by the side of the bed and you've forgiven each other, now you're saying to the Lord, grace, grace. When everything has fallen apart and God takes the pieces and says, okay, build with this. Grace, grace. 
And do you know what happened? When they got back to rebuilding, Pastor, how many days did it take for them to rebuild? A couple of years. When Nehemiah came in, he finished the project in 52 days. 52 days. You know why? Every time Nehemiah prayed, he prayed as if him and God were partners in a business. He was very upfront. Lord, the enemies are messing around. Go deal with them. And God did. Lord, there's people in the church who are standing in the way. Get rid of them. And God did. Because Nehemiah's focus was on getting the job done. 52 days. We're going to talk about Nehemiah next month, but let's, let's finish up on this one. I'm done. I'm done. It's down. When we worship, we are shouting grace, grace, because ladies and gentlemen, you can come up with a program. You can come up with a plan. You can come up with a strategy. You can lay out a timeline of five years, ten years of what your life will look like. But without God's grace, grace, it all means nothing. We can only rebuild with God. If that is your prayer with me this morning, I invite you to stand up. Let's say grace, grace together. Not just any grace, God's grace. The kind of grace that comes in the darkness of night. The kind of grace that appears when you least expect it. The kind of grace which is like good news in a, in a season of bad news. The kind of grace you look at and be like, if it had not been for the Lord. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We worship you, Lord, because we don't have the answers. We worship you, Lord, because we've tried it our way over and over and over and over again. We worship you, Lord, because we've tried to depend on people and they failed us. People we thought were experts in the field that you had gifted them in failed us. The bosses failed us. The clients have failed us. The pastors have failed us. The elders have failed us. Parents have failed their children. Managers have failed their employees. There's so much failure, but Lord, we worship you because you are yet to fail us. Even though it seems like sometimes you are because things don't work out the way we want them to. But here's what I know about you. You don't work with might. You don't work with power. You work with your spirit. And what takes a halt for 16 years can happen in less than two months because you are God. Sometimes it's not the building that matters. It's the people. The people needed to change before the building could go up. The people needed to change before anything could happen. And so I pray, Father, for anybody in this room right now that is in the process of rebuilding and they are wondering, why is it taking longer than it should? Show them. Show them that it's an inside job. Show them that they need to be reinforced from within. That what it looks like on the outside doesn't matter. What people think and what people want doesn't matter. Is what God wants. That's what matters. And so I pray, Father, even as I'm praying, even as I've been preaching, let the people say grace, grace. God's grace. Grace, grace. God's grace. Come on, everybody. Grace, grace. God's grace. Lord, you hear them. It's your grace that we need today. We've tried the preaching. We've tried the singing. We've tried the praying. We've tried the teaching. We've tried the giving. We've tried the place. We've tried so many things, but we are here to try the Spirit. It is the Spirit that reminds us of the things that we have forgotten. 
It is the spirit that inspires us to do that which is right. It is the spirit that leads us to the right people to come into our lives. It is the spirit that will bless this church to accomplish the mission of God. It is a spirit that will stand between husband and wife. It is a spirit that will stand between parent and child. It is a spirit that will stand between the entrepreneur and their project, the CEO and their business, the church and its leaders. Because when it's all said and done, when the top stone has been put in place, that's when the work begins. And so before the work begins, we will not sing, but we will shout grace, grace, God's grace. And now I pray, dear Lord, may you be above us to watch over us with your grace. May you be beneath us to lift us up with your grace. May you stand by our side as a friend, full of grace. May you surround us to protect us with your grace. But above all things, may you be in your, our hearts so that your grace may abound and sin may be dispelled. If this is your prayer, my brothers and sisters, let me hear you shout, amen. And amen. God bless you. Take your seats.